and we're back. I am Jason P. Woodbury, your host this week for another edition of Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions Podcast, our weekly series of strange conversations for strange times. My guest this week is pedal steel player Luke Schneider. He's got a brand new album out this month called Altar of Harmony, released by the venerable Third Man Records. Luke is best known as a sideman for country artists like Margot Price and Orville Peck, but he takes the pedal steel for a cosmic ride on this new record, conjuring up uncanny sounds that seem to bend the ear, recalling Robert Fripp's guitars one moment, the shape-shifting keyboards of Harold Budd or Brian Eno the next, but all fashioned from raw pedal steel performances. It's a gorgeous record, another example of the cosmic pastoral aesthetic Luke's frequent collaborator and friend William Tyler has discussed on Aquarium Drunkard. We'll drop a link to William's cosmic pastoral essay in the show notes. Luke's new record could justifiably be described as new age in the most essential sense, writes previous transmissions guest Douglas McGowan of Numero Group and Yoga Records. It represents a radical new approach to the versatile and cosmic instrument of the steel guitar. This is something new under the sun, a total reinvention of an iconic instrument, Douglas continues. But we'll let Luke describe what he's done on this record for himself via this interview I recorded with him back on Mother's Day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Consider this a friendly reminder that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and that you can use that handy share button on Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn to put our show directly into the various feeds of people who might enjoy it. Aquarium Drunkard is funded by our supporters on Patreon. So if you like what we do, this podcast, Just Engage's weekly two-hour show on Sirius XMU, our mixtapes, our 24-hour pirate radio stream, the Lanyap sessions where your favorite artists cover their favorite artists, consider chipping in a couple bucks over there. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week with a special archived broadcast from Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard's Tonight Zone, a long-form interview between the Llama and AD founder Justin Gage. But first, Luke Schneider, exploring his altar of harmony. See you on the other side. Hey, Luke, how are you? I'm good. How's it going, man? It's going okay. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I guess um, I, I remember meeting you at um, the record store at Zia, right? And then um, I can't remember if we've crossed paths since then or not. I don't think we have physically seen each other since then, but we've talked online a fair amount. Yeah. Right. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to remember. I can't can remember if maybe we had, yeah, crossed paths at South by Southwest or something or not. But I guess we hadn't. So. Yeah, man. I think it's been it's been years. But uh, it's it's good, <laughs> it's good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us here on the uh, the Aquarian Drunkard podcast. Yeah, man. Um, uh, my my pleasure to be a part of it. I'm a huge Aquarium Drunkard fan, so this is an honor. <laughs> oh man, well that's always very nice to hear. What, what have you uh, What have you been up to today? What's What's today been like for you? I just walked in the door um, from a run. I did four and a half miles today. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. About yeah, about average pace. Could have been a little quicker, but. Um, yeah, I, I literally just finished that up at like 10 till the hour, and then um, 
yeah, just came in and kind of sat down and caught my breath and was waiting for you to call. So um, I've got to record a, uh, a performance, like a 20-minute performance for Rough Trade here this afternoon. I tried it yesterday and had sound issues, so now i got to do it again. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man, I just I wish I was with my mom today, but, you know, say la vie. Yeah, for those, uh, this will air uh, a little bit after, but it's it's Mother's Day today, so hopefully. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, well, your new record, Alter of Harmony, it's uh, it's really incredible. Um, congrats on thanks, making man. making something so singular and and interesting. I'm interested in you know before we get right into the to the new record in asking how you got started playing pedal steel. It's, it's not the easiest instrument to learn. Uh, how long have you been playing and, and sort of how did you, uh, how did you first get acquainted with the instrument? Um, so when I was, I would say 11, 12 is when I started playing guitar and I knew even when I was just, you know, starting out on an acoustic guitar that I really wanted to play pedal steel. Um, and this was in the early nineties. And so my favorite bands were, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Neil Young and Led Zeppelin. And um, I don't know, I, my, what my parents were listening to was a lot of, you know, like the 60s, 70s California country rock, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and, you know, Emmy Lou Harris and that kind of stuff. And so I was always fascinated by the instrument, just kind of hearing it on the music that they were listening to. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to play it. I loved that sound. So it took me about 10 years after that i was like 21 or 22 in college before i was able to you know have the resources and the wherewithal to get one i was living in nashville at that point uh and there was a pedal at that time there was a pedal steel shop uh in a suburb outside of town and just a music store just totally dedicated to steel guitars and went up there and got one and quickly like within a few months realized that that one was not going to be it was a student model it was not going to be uh you know good enough to play on stage so i had a like a real i was a bellhop at work at the at, i was working as a bellhop at a hotel at that time and i had a really good week uh during the nam convention i took all the money i made at nam and bought my first real pedal steel guitar and uh yeah, that's how I first got it. I, I guess the, the first six months I had it, I um, practiced a bunch and got just good enough to play in, like, you know, folky indie bands around town. Um, so, but, but, yeah, I wasn't all that great when I was first starting out. Well, yeah, nobody starts off great. Well, I guess some people probably do, but it's... it's uh... <laughs> Did you get the sense that, uh, you know, knowing how to play pedal steel in in nashville no less was like a, a pretty good ticket for for uh pretty much always being in demand as a as a player that was part of my thought at the beginning but honestly i was i was so at that time i was like way into you know any kind of weird indie rock avant-garde shoegaze kind of stuff i was you know listened to a lot of yellow tango and my bloody valentine and you know whatever else and i was really trying to make the instrument work in that type of setting in like a classic indie rock kind of setting um and 
was hoping to be able to, you know, have a touring career in a band like that. And after several misadventures, you know, it didn't work out. And then when I first kind of got my first real country gig, which was probably around 2009 with Caitlin Rose, that was when I was like, okay, this could be a career. And I decided to sit down and really um, dive into learning classic country chops and really learning the, the, the theory and, um, you know, traditional techniques of the instrument and like take, took a deep dive into, into country music. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, you know, I can, I could play interesting country music with this as a career. So you grew up hearing stuff like, like CSNY and, and, you know, that sort of California country. Uh, totally, yeah. Did this crash course where you were you were playing with country bands, did that sort of necessitate a deeper dive into the history of the genre for you? Totally, yeah. I And, and, and you know, I mean, I had been living in Nashville for probably like 10 years at that point, and so I had started, you know, just, you know, just from being surrounded by it all day long, you know, I started to gain an appreciation for, you know, traditional country music, you know, going all the way back. And, you know, when I really sat down to learn, I mean, because that was always part of my interest in the, in the instrument too, was the sounds that are on, you know, Hank Williams records or, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, when I, when I decided to like, you know, just woodshed for probably a year and a half or two years, I mean, I was practicing three, four hours a day minimum and, you know, listening to classic records and stuff. Um, you know, that's when I, I, yeah, really kind of became knowledgeable about the history of country music and the history of, uh, the pedal steel guitar in country music. So were there specific players who, who you really, uh, were attracted to, you know, maybe somebody like Red Rhodes or, or Ben Keith or these, these guys who, you know, uh, I think, someone like Red Rhodes is very interesting because he, he kind of crosses all over the place, you know, and he kind of, he can fit in in sort of a more pop setting and sit, fit in in a folky setting, you know. Did you have people who you sort of look to in the way that maybe, you know, a young guitarist <clears throat> might want to emulate Kevin Shields or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I would say that, I mean, that going back to when I was a kid, you know, uh, my first interest in the instrument kind of came from Ben Keith. Uh, and, and then, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, Red Roads, I was aware of when I really started diving in, um, you know, like 2008, 2009, 2010, I would say, you know, probably the player that I really gravitated to was Weldon Myrick, uh, who played on a bunch of the Connie Smith hits in the mid and late sixties. And, he played an Emmons push pull, um, guitar like I play and it's it, things that he was able to do and the voicings that he used and, um, were just so unique. And then, um, he later on would go on and play in all kinds of like interesting, you know, progressive, you know, bands. I think he played in area code six one five. Um, so he was always doing really, really interesting stuff, but a lot of his voicings and the way he used certain strings on the instrument really caught my ear. Um, obviously Buddy Emmons and, you know, his work, uh, the Ray Price record, um, um, uh, Nightlife, you know, I, I probably listened to that record 
I don't know, at least once a month or something. Um, you, you know, Red Rhodes was a guy who I, I definitely, um, it, it, I mean, the guy, he's brilliant and is, can yeah. play anything. And, you know, the first national band records are incredible. Thing. Nobody, people haven't heard the Mike Nesmith uh, and first national band records. Those are incredible, essential listening. And, um, yeah, totally, uh, totally you know, as underrated. I've gotten, as I've gotten older. What's that? They're totally underrated. People don't. Oh yeah. I mean, those rec. I mean, like, I get, maybe people think, you know, hey, it's a monkey or whatever. Not to say that the monkeys don't have <laughs> great records, because they do too, you know. But um, yeah. yeah. And I know. So the guy uh, who's playing with Nez now uh, is a buddy uh, in town. His name's uh, Pete Finney, and he gets to do. He gets to go out on tour with Nez, and he gets to play all of the cool Red Rhodes parts and stuff. I'm so jealous, man. He's got, like, the funnest pedal steel gig there is, and he's a heck of a player. Um, but, yeah, uh, the, you know, of course, uh, Lloyd Green, um, uh, Buddy Emmons, you know, all of the greats were, were, were big um, influences on me. John Huey is a guy who I've tried to uh, emulate a little bit um, – you know, like when I'm playing with my country bands, Margo and Orville Peck. And, um, I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, sure, uh, sure. Ralph Mooney. Uh, I, I really, really, when I was playing with Natural Child, Ralph Mooney was a guy who I was trying to channel. Again, I'm not as good as any of these players, but I try and, and you know, take little bits and pieces and emulate them when I can. So, you know, you, you had mentioned coming from a world of sort of being interested in alternative rock and indie indie bands and stuff like that. You know, um, obviously, someone's influences don't have to relate solely to the instrument they play. Were our guitarists, you know, shoegaze guitarists and stuff like that, does that have something to do with the way you approach the instrument as well? Because clearly on this record, Altar of Harmony, you're not, you know, you're, you're playing pedal steel, but you're, you're positioning it in some fairly interesting and, and very different sounding, sounding ways. So are there just, you know, guitarists and bands that do offer you a, a little bit like inroads into to what you're trying to accomplish with this stuff? Oh, oh yeah, totally. I mean, I'm a, you know, I mean, Robert Fripp and, you know, the Fripp and Eno records are, you know, huge, uh, you know, I mean, those records changed my life, especially Evening Star. Um, uh, yeah, very, I mean, Kevin Shields, uh, you know, another life-changing, you know, My Bloody Valentine was a life-changing band for me. Um, you know, Ira from Yola Tango, uh, even, you know, William Tyler, you know, my best friend. I mean, his guitar playing has been a big influence on me. Um, but yeah, I... The, 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 this record is you know, the sounds that I've always heard in my head and the tones that, that, you know, have just kind of been swimming around in my, you know, in my mind for, for gosh, I mean, 20 years now. And I, I use the pedal steel because that's the instrument that I'm most comfortable on. And I, I, I it's way easier for me to sort of, get these sounds out on steel guitar than it is on guitar, just like a six string guitar. And that might be counterintuitive to some people, but I don't know. I mean, I spend hours a day sitting at the pedal steel. So this is what I'm most comfortable on. And it has 20 strings instead of six um, and all different kinds of, you know, 
mechanical manipulations I can do. So, um, yeah, there's enough technology and effects boxes now that, um, I mean, it's difficult and it's, you know, a lot of trial and error, but I will, <laughs> I'm the kind of personality that I'll sit there for hours and just tweak and tweak and tweak until I get the exact tone that I hear in my head out um, on the pedal steel. So, and that tone might be, you know, like something similar to the Harold Bud um, Cocteau Twins record, um, or it might be uh, Moon in the Melodies, or it might be something from, you know, an early Latango record or anything. So, um, yeah. You, you, you mentioned Fripp, you know, Fripp and Eno, and I, I thought a lot about that record, especially Evening Star, listening to this album. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> part of what's so interesting about his, you know, Frippertronics uh, technique is the way it creates mm-hmm. this overlapping and, and multi-layered uh, sustain. And, and it's funny because mm-hmm. when I listened to that record and I listened to it sort of in combination with this album, it really struck me how similar the approaches were. I, I've, never, I've never heard Fripp talk about whether or not he was, you know, thinking about the pedal steel, but you get the sense a little bit that there's some commonality, you know, in the, in the approach. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hope, um, I, you know, I, I, I'd love to, you know, chat with him and get an idea of his, you know, approaches and stuff. Um, you know, Eno, I, I'm not entirely sure how much steel guitar Eno worked with from time to time. Harold Budd, um, worked, did some steel guitar work, uh, or had steel guitars work work with him uh yeah. bj cole i know did and um bj oh, what's the other guy go ahead no yeah bj cole's uh, really new hovering dog is a, is a really incredible record and that some of some yeah. of his other his other records do move a little bit more in that ambient direction i thought of harold buzz the serpent serpent and quicksilver of course quicksilver uh, yeah 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 i love that record is yeah i love, love that record um, I, it, but with, with, you know, with Fripp, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not a Fripp, you know, King Crimson expert. I, I really, my favorite stuff is, are those Eno records and the Frippertronic stuff. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I, you know, the, the idea of stacking tones with like a, an Ebo and a delay pedal. I mean, that's like, you know pretty it's pretty cool to do on a pedal steel guitar <laughs> well it sounds it sounds incredible on this record you know there are other, thanks man there there are other people too you know daniel lenoir obviously did some pedal steel mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. apollo record mm-hmm. but but one mm-hmm. of the things that's interesting is is and you know maybe more or less we could consider all of those artists adjacent to what you're doing but but they're coming from a right. more i guess a more ambient approach and uh, at, at least for the uh, purposes of, of, of this record, um, Douglas McGowan, who I've worked with and, um, you know, I'm a big fan of his, his work. He, he wrote the bio for your record and yeah. you know, he very strongly and declaratively positioned this in the new age genre, which is, you know, not the same thing as ambient per se. And I wondered right. if, there, if there was some, some uh, difference in definition for for you do, do, do you view this more in a sort of maybe ecstatic tradition compared to that you know eno 
slightly more cerebral approach? Uh, see, I in, in my mind, all of that stuff is kind of in the same family. Uh, I, uh, and I know that there wasn't a whole lot of crosstalk between, you know, the Enos and the Harold Buds and the, you know, New Age, you know, cats like, you know, whoever, Don Slepian or, yeah. you know, Stephen Halpern and, and, and those kind of people. Yeah, those sure. kind of pe- there wasn't a whole lot of overlap in those scenes, it seems like, which to me was, you know, a little bit of a missed opportunity. I mean, I guess LaRaji was, you know, he kind of had a foot in both worlds. But LaRaji's um, the LaRaji's the one the one person who I think does, you know, unite those two. But I but I hear what you're saying for sure. There there's not a lot of yeah. conversation between those genres. Yeah. And yeah, I mean I guess like Eno and Harold Budd and, and that like, you know, hated the term New Age and like didn't want to be a you know, they thought it was whatever gobbledygook and didn't want to be <laughs> I don't think they wanted to be associated with it and and you know in in some cases maybe for good reason I mean uh, it, it you know new age music you know became a punchline and and that in most households nowadays people when they think new age they think Enya or um uh, Yanni or whatever. I mean, not that there, you know, if you enjoy that music, whatever, not that there's any problem with it, but there's so much more depth to, um, new age music. And I, so I, a lot of times have sort of made the point of saying like, yes, my music is new age music. And, and in, in that, you know, I hope that it can, you know, help people, with whatever, you know, it's like, it's intentional that you know, if somebody has something that needs to be healed or just needs somebody that just needs to relax, listen to some music to relax or unwind, um, that this is music that could be used for that. It could also be music that, you know, you just put on, um, while you're reading a book or while you're sending emails or, or whatever in the background. I mean, that's when I'm listening to new age music, it tends to be, you know, while I'm like, you know, reading the New Yorker online or whatever. Sure. Um, sure. But, I, but I do usually denote, and this is maybe just me speaking to my generation or younger generations. I do usually denote that this is ambient new age music so that, you know, to, because I think new age is big enough to the the term new age, I think is, is big enough to uh, sort of umbrella, you know, I mean, Celtic music or you know, like river dance kind of stuff or um, yeah, uh, Native American chanting or Gregorian chanting or yeah, like, you know, the, the, like I think that can all technically be filed under New Age music. So I classify this as, you know, quote unquote, ambient New Age music. So is this, you know, the sounds uh, that, are, that are made on this record, this is all, all you know, originates in, in with the pedal steel, but... Are you do? Are yeah, you, it's an, go ahead. It's important that people. It's important that people know that, right? because yeah, there's no synthesizers. Um, not that I mean, not that I have any problem with. It. I just can't play keyboards. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, but yeah, it's every single thing that you hear originated as a string on the pedal steel guitar. So, like, it might sound like voices coming from a keyboard, but it's actually strings. So, are you doing? Are you doing editing? You know, uh, after the fact, or are you using more? You know, sort of sound manipulation, or is a lot of this happening more or less in real time as you're recording? 
Um, so what I'll do, and, and every little thing is different, every piece is different, but I would say that this, the stock sort of, you know, work sequence is I'll lay down like a drone or a pad or something, and then I will try and come up with like, you know, uh, melodies or something in a different tone over that. And I will kind of like do that for as long as I feel like doing it, you know, maybe seven minutes, maybe eight minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then, um, on this record with the guy who produced it with me, Rodrigo Avendano of uh, Soccer Mommy, um, we kind of edit it down together, and he has expertise with editing software that I don't. And, um, yeah, we'll edit things together, and sometimes it's just like we'll pull out like a two-and-a-half or three-minute snippet of like me doing a jam, like an improvisation, and we'll take that and, you know, just that's the piece. And other times we will you know, cut up like you're editing a movie or something and um, from like a 20-minute piece like Antiludium, I think the first track was probably originally, gosh, I mean, 14, 15 minutes and we edited it to, you know, tell a story. Um, and yeah, so it, so I would say most of the time it's the pieces are, are edited down. Do you... You know, you, you talk a little bit about the intention with this with this record. Do you feel like there are um, sort of thematic concerns that you have for this record? Um, it doesn't veer. You know, there's there's a lot of tension and mystery sounding in the record, but it you know doesn't really veer very often into kind of foreboding sounds. Uh, you know, uh, it, yeah. Was that sort of a, a conscious yeah. choice that maybe future records might do that, but but for this one there was a little bit more of a, a sort of a, a I guess you know a, a set of uh, um, not constraints but but sort of specific <laughs> desires. Man, it's like yeah, uh, somebody's feeding you inside information. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I so originally when I first decided, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start do making music under my own name. It's going to be all pedal steel. The very first idea that I wanted to do was just like almost do this as like straight noise, straight improvisational noise, and you know more gothy. Um, you know, more in the world of like sleep, sun, kind of like doom metal. And I, there was a part of me that wanted to bring the instrument into the world of like sludge metal. And I still want to do that. Yeah, that sounds um, awesome. A lot, yeah, a lot of, um, a, a lot of like the first recordings I did were, were, you know, kind of like that. As time went on, I was, I think just in my life, I was listening to more and more um, new age music. And what I was recording reflected that. Um, so what I kind of decided was, you know, in, ha, as you <laughs> seem to have, um, you know, struck upon uh, intuitively, I do have plans, you know, at some point to like, you know, uh, you know, put out collections of just like, yeah, straight, noisy or like more, you know, like carpenter type synthy foreboding um kind of stuff. Uh, I think that because I have an interest in that kind of thing. Um, but I also feel like my best work or the, the things that I end up like liking the most over time tend to be, you know, whatever I was feeling with from my heart at the time. So like right now, um, or at that time, you know, my heart was into making new age music, maybe six months from now, I'll, 
be back into wanting to make, you know, super drony death metal kind of stuff. Um, and maybe I'll release something like that, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm interested in, in all of those sorts of things. This record, I, I, I guess the theme, um, I was, you know, like falling in love at the time that I was making this, um, and like really for the first time in my life, like really truly in love with someone. And so, uh, just the kind of like the chill vibes that were kind of in my life at the time is sort of what I think comes through on this record. I think it's probably a pretty helpful tone to strike right now. Uh, t- 2020, uh, <laughs> 2020, I, I don't want to say that 2020 doesn't need more sun style, uh, you know, nightmare soundscape totally because uh those are those are helpful and and required too but something like Mm -hmm. this that does strike a more ecstatic tone that does strike a slightly more uh you know not just comforting but sort of uh sort of majestic sort of uh sort of music that seems to 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 really have a, a a firm grasp on a sense of wonder I think this is a pretty good this is a pretty good thing to have. I guess I'm just speaking personally because I I found a lot of value in the record on those terms, you know. Yeah, well thanks man. I um I hope so. I mean, I hope that's what what people are feeling like they need. I you know, maybe setting aside the you know, the qualities or lack thereof of this record in particular. I mean, I do think that you know, there's been a resurgence of interest into uh, ambient music and, you know, new age, the classic era, new age music. And um, I think that there are, every day I talk to someone who's like, man, I thought that uh, listening to this kind of music was just something weird that I did when I was, you know, sending emails, you know, in the afternoon or something or, and it's like so many people are saying the same things and they think that listening to this music, whether it's ambient or classic new age or whatever, is something, you know, that they didn't realize that other people were doing this too. And, and it's like, no, no, everybody listens to this stuff. It's like, sometimes when you're trying to type an email, it's like you hearing, you know, like lyric heavy music is distracting or takes you out of what you're trying to focus on. And, And also, I mean, there's just, there's, you know, I mean, you know, for all of the modern conveniences we have, I mean, there's so much, you know, stress, um, you know, and, and especially now and uncertainty. I mean, everybody keeps saying that word, but, um, it's unfortunate because, you know, I feel like there doesn't have to be uncertainty right now if we had good leadership. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, or at least um, a little, at least a little less uncertainty, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Um, maybe yeah, yeah. But the other thing, uh, the other thing, I guess, in in the sound is that, um, you know, I against my, I, I fight hard against it, but I am, you know, a nostalgic person, um, which you know I've always been ashamed and embarrassed by, but I, I, I kind of had come to terms with like, oh, this is just how I am. And, um, so yeah, there's definitely certain dreamy, um, you know, little, little bits of nostalgia that I'm trying to convey with, you know, some of the pieces on this record. And, um, like I said, a lot of it was, uh, was, you know, my mood at the time that I was recording it, but also a lot of it is like, you know, the sound of the memories that I have from, um, 
you know, childhood or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, that's, that's really, that's really moving to know that there are those kinds of, uh, emotions you know fueling this this music or informing it you know because uh oh yeah absolutely that's the only way i know how to make music honestly (laughs) what's interesting is that that does there there's a spiritual side to that you know and and when it comes to uh i think maybe that's another thing that um i i have an extremely difficult time defining almost any kind of music as anything other than spiritual. But when we talk about ambient versus new age, you know, that might be one consideration that some people might want to, to insist upon, which is to say that ambient music is a little bit more conceptual. Whereas somebody like, you know, Yasos or, or, uh, or those kinds of, you know, or Laraji, you know, or Ariel Kalma, these guys, they're, they're, you know, very often times, Joanna Brooke, for that matter, they're very often sort of trying to convey some spiritual concepts, and I think that memory is tied up in right, that. Right. Nostalgia is tied up in that. You know, does it feel sort of almost like a? I guess does the word spiritual, if somebody throws that into your into your uh, as a descriptor for your record, how does you know? Do you feel okay about that? Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I. I I'm a spiritual person. I, you know, I, I'm always trying to, um, find peace with my place in the universe and, um, try to unravel mysteries of the universe and, you know, and, and try to make peace with the fact that I may not unravel all the, you know, and likely will not unravel any mysteries of the universe. Um, I believe, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, there's a lot of people who I think don't believe in the healing power of music, and that's fine. And I think that maybe there were times when um, maybe I subscribed to that. But 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 I don't know. I mean, uh, most forms of I, I mean, I'm not an expert, but I feel like most forms of of religion when they're in their you know praising and worshiping, you know, whether it's Christian or whatever, um, you know, spirituality across the board seems to have a musical element to it, you know, in the way that people, you know, worship and praise. So, um, I, I guess getting back to your question, I mean, I, I think that there is, um, a spiritual element to the music that I make. I feel like it's more, um, it tends to be since the music that I make is so very improvisational that it, it tends to be a reflection of um, one of two things: either what I'm feeling right at that moment, you know, or two, it's like me trying to like take a dive into, like I said earlier about like you know recreating the sound of a memory that I have. Um, or the soundtrack of a memory that I have, or a soundtrack of, you know, like a movie that I wish I could make, which I'm a, I also write scripts and, you know, do dabble in screenwriting and stuff. So, um, they, I think that it's probably coming more from that place than from like an intentional spiritual place, like a, you know, like, like someone Laraji does, but there is absolutely, um, I'm a spiritual person for sure. So that's going to permeate into the music. Uh, and I, um, I just have to trust every single day, you know, 
um, that what I'm doing and what I'm path on, what path I'm on is um, what the universe intends for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you when you're not making soundscapes like this, you know, you play with people like with Margot Price and uh, mm-hmm. Orville Peck. I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, this record uh, it doesn't sound like either of those artists, um, but, <laughs> yeah. but but at the same time, I wonder if you know when you're when you're on stage and you know when you when you're playing live as often as you have with with people like that. Do you feel like that that practice feeds into this one as well? Does 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 what you do with them in in maybe not necessarily purely sonic terms, but at least technique terms? You know, does does it does it play into what you've made on this album? Uh, I don't know about on the record. But it's funny that you mentioned that though, because like you know, yesterday when I was like trying to work on some. Um, you know, like trying to create a, 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 like a live stream video type thing. I mean, I realized that a few times, like when I'm like trying to come up with melodies, sometimes I'll just like, you know, sort of leave the melody and go into a, like just a crazy run that I'm just feeling. And that definitely comes from, you know, having to solo with, with Margo a lot. Um, I, you know, so I, I, I do think, though, that I, you know maybe one of the intention with wanting to uh, one of the intentions with wanting to do my own music was to get away from that world. Not that I have any you know qualms with being in the country world at all. I mean, I love it, but I also wanted to do something that like just could be a complete you know wiping the slate clean and you know being able to you know have an outlet for all of these other ideas that, you know, exist in my mind. Um, so I wouldn't say there's a ton of country elements in this. I mean, it's, I, I want, I also wanted to show people like, you know, this is a instrument that is a country trope at this point, but it's such a beautifully designed instrument, you know, that uh, there is, there should be no boundaries on what genre, um, of music that, that this instrument can be a part of. How about just in terms of, of, of those artists, let's say Margot and Orville Peck specifically, both of them are, are, are tremendous examples of, of somebody who embraces like a kind of individuality, you know, within this framework of, of tradition and within this framework of, you know, uh, something that that is understand almost implicitly by a lot of Americans, the idea of country music, you know. But but both Margot and Orville are are they they've carved out their you know their own unique thing, which is what you've done with this record as well. I just wondered if on a on a personal level, knowing artists like that who have this ability to contextualize their work um, with like an original aim, if if, if that that element influenced yeah, you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, Margot Price is one of my best friends, and. Um, I would not be the person I am today or, you know, if, if I can call myself an artist, I would not be, you know, Margot has given me so much confidence in all of my, like, you know, personal and professional dreams came true with her. And so she has been able to achieve um, everything that, you know, I mean, she's done and that, you know, the goals that she's had um, with refusal to, to um, 
you know, to bend to anybody's will or to, uh, you know, to, to change or sell out or, or, or anything like that. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but, um, or, you know, adapt. She, so watching her achieve success with being exactly, you know, who she wanted to be and make the music and the record exactly how she wanted to make it, um, was definitely inspiring. Um, and the other thing that's inspiring about the way Margot works is that, you know, she lets her band have a lot of creative freedom. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it, I, there are very, very few times where I was, you know, told what to play or, you know, I mean, I was able to, you know, solo anything I wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, I, every now and then I would be like, Margot, you like this effect? And I put like a Leslie effect on something. And she like, yeah, she looked at me like, yes, of course I like it. It's amazing. You know, so, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of like, you know, like being in this Americana world that we were playing in and existing in, which we, you know, we're very thankful to like have, you know, the support of Americana fans. But it's also, we also definitely wanted to, um, you know, sort of <laughs> tweak them a little bit too. And, and, you know, well, what would happen if we, you know, come out and, put a you know huge big like sub octave fuzz pedal or open to show with you know these like huge big john carpenter type you know synths and um so we were always trying to like you know challenge and make people feel like they weren't necessarily at a traditional americana show um so those kinds of like let's you know let's challenge the um standard you know expectations uh that was definitely inspiring for me, um, from Margo, um, with Orville Peck. Yeah. I mean, Orville, it's interesting because like, I consider myself, you know, sort of like, you know, the kind of person who is a, um, a minimalist, you know, I like, you know, sleek simplicity and Orville Peck is a maximalist. (laughs) Um, and, uh, he is all about having fun and he is all about making a connection with the audience and, um, and it's really been uh, inspiring to watch him work. And he is so just incredibly kind and um, it's been so incredibly just welcoming of me into his band. Um, and it's, uh, I, you know, we, we only got to play like three or four shows before quarantine started, but um, he, it, it, it's been, it's been fun to, um, to work with him and uh, he, he like comes from, you know, all, all kinds of like weird punk bands and has played with all kinds of different bands as well. So he, I remember sending him my record, this record and like being like, okay, well this is like weird, you know, new age music. And he's like, oh, he's like, man, I listen to that stuff all the time. And sure enough, like he told me, he's like, I love it. And had all of these really wonderful things and wonderful support. So um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been great watching both of them work and, and and yeah, they definitely inspired me. Man, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Transmissions. Oh, hey, my, my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of all the work that y'all do, and I'm really honored to, uh, to be a part of it. You guys do vital work. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. I feel the same way about this record. All right, we'll talk oh. soon, man. All right, thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate it. Stay well. Bye-bye. Take it easy.